seated, if you would, go ahead and turn with me to your Bible, in your Bibles, to the book of Acts chapter 1. You can hold your spot there. We're going to move through a good bit of the book of Acts here in just a few moments. Uh, so Acts chapter 1 is as good a place as any to start because we're going to hit different portions of the book of Acts. And so uh, continuing today in the series called Ask God Anything. So the, the, the scope of the series, I think by, by now you, most of you are familiar with it, is that you have submitted questions for me to consider dealing with on a Sunday morning. If you could ask God one question and one question only, what would that question be? And so I've gotten a lot of variety submitted in, in these questions. Some of them I've wondered, like, really, is this the one question you would ask God? But, you know, that's the way it rolls. If that's your question, then that, that's it. Some of them are not necessarily conducive to uh, a Sunday morning. They're just kind of a quicker answer. A lot of those kinds of questions we're dealing with in our new podcast that we started a couple of weeks ago. It comes out every Tuesday called Chasing the Rabbit. The next one will be out this Tuesday as well. And, uh, but some of the ones that are, that are just more kind of maybe asked more often or they're really pertinent to kind of where we are as people in our walks with God or, or what have you, those are the ones I'm dealing with on Sunday morning. So I'm not going to cover all of them. There's just, there's really no way to do that. But you've given me a lot to deal with. And so this is about the seventh week, I believe, in this series, and uh, it spanned almost two months. We're going to be wrapping it up fairly soon, and, uh, but it's been really, really good. I tell you, it's challenged me. It's helped me to grow in my own walk with the Lord as well. It's caused me to dig in to a lot of really good questions, some hard questions as well, but today we're going to go off script just a little bit. It's still staying in the series, but I've taken the liberty, if you'll allow me, to present the question. <laughs> because I want to deal with this topic. And so this is like my one shot where I can ask the question. I mean, I'm, I'm a member of the church, right? So I kind of have the liberty, I guess, where I can, I can do that maybe if I want and not get kicked out. So, um, and so I'm going to be the one that's going to present the question. And, and in true fashion, it's going to be a two-part question because if I only get one shot, I want to get the most out of it that I can. So we're going to shift gears a little bit this morning looking at a topic that, um, that I, I just I feel like the Lord has really put on my put on my heart. I'll share a little bit of the backstory in that I, I had a message, a lot of the notes put together. What I do to start with is I'll, I'll usually just kind of get away and look at the question and start jotting down verses that come to mind immediately, maybe some other things that, that come to mind. And I'll have a page often pretty full of different ideas and thoughts to get me started. And so I had already done that for a message today, uh, dealing with a certain question that was asked that we'll probably end up getting to soon. Um, and, and yet there was a point in the middle of the week where I just kind of felt unsettled. I felt like, you know, I don't, I don't know I don't know that I'm supposed to preach this message this Sunday. I don't even know that I want to preach this message this Sunday, honestly, the one that, that I had in mind. And it was just an unsettledness that, you know, we'll get there, but probably not this week. And, uh, and so I was, was, uh, was really thinking through because the week was rolling by and, uh, you know, Sunday's coming and uh, got to have something for Sunday if you're, if you're a pastor. And so uh, I just, uh, I really felt like the Lord redirecting my plans. And, um, and it was interesting because even there is a story. I was, I was at breakfast with a, a pastor friend of mine. And um, as we were talking, I, I told him during breakfast, this was on Thursday, I said, you know what, I feel like this is what I need to preach on on Sunday. That doesn't happen very often. I like to know where I'm headed. I like to know the, the you know, there's a reason we do series. I, I, like to, I like to have all that kind of laid out in a lot of ways. This week was a little bit different, but I feel like it's, uh, it's for a reason. It's a, it's a question that we need to look at. It's a question we need to deal with, not only individually as believers, but also for us as a church as well. So let's just go ahead and jump in. Let's put the question on the board, if we would, for today, submitted not so anonymously. And, uh, and so this is what I want us to deal with as our Ask God Any, Anything question today. So it says, what role has prayer played in the early church and in church history? And how important is prayer today 
in the life of a follower of Jesus and in the life of a local church? I think that's a question that seems pretty benign. It seems pretty, pretty normal. I mean, there's nothing real earth-shattering about that question. Like, you know what, Brooks, that is an amazing question. That's why you're the pastor here, because you think of questions nobody else thinks of, right? You're not thinking that. Because, I mean, all of us know about prayer. It's not like this is an earth-shattering question. However, I don't know that we necessarily recognize prayer the way that we should. We know about it, and we could all probably teach a little mini-class on it if we needed to. We do it. You know, we do it in different ways at different times with different levels of intensity, I guess. But, but do we really understand the role of prayer? Do we understand the role of prayer in Scripture, the role of prayer in church history? Do we understand the role of it in our lives today specifically? Uh, and, and my goal today is not to, is not to guilt trip, right? That, that's not what I want to aim for. I'm not aiming that in this message this morning and then the next service, you know, for everybody to leave out of here on a guilt trip because that guy up there speaking made me feel guilty about my prayer life. That's not my goal. That's a horrible motivator. It's a horrible motivator in any arena of life, especially the spiritual arena. So I'm not aiming to send you out of here with a guilt trip. I just know that God in my life has begun to kind of tighten the screws in this area, not to make me guilty, but there is a difference between guilt and conviction, right? And so it's not to bear us, but whenever God tightens those screws to say, this is important, this is something you need to ramp up, this is something you need to give more attention to, he's not sending us out on a guilt trip, right? There's no reason to feel guilty. We can confess where we've fallen short, but then he wants us to be responsive. I think this is an area where we need to be responsive. So I don't want to send you out on a guilt trip today. I, 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 don't, I don't want this to be a message where we all leave and say, man, that, 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 was, that was really, really good. That's exactly what we needed to focus on, and then we forget about it over the next seven days. It's not that kind of a message specifically, but what I want to do, my hope is that, that through this message is that we can begin to see that prayer is an absolute no-brainer in our walks with the Lord, that it is not something that we need to consider, do I have time for or do I not? Where does it fit into my Christian life? My hope is, is that we can see that, that it doesn't even need to be given a second thought, that we see that it is absolutely vital, not only in our own lives, in our own walks, in our own marriages, in our own relationships, but also in the life of our church, that we see that prayer is that important, that if we don't have it where it needs to be, and if it is not something that is a growing function of our walk with the Lord, then there is, we're going to fall short. We're going to suffer in those areas where prayer lacks because it is that important. That's my desire. So part of the backstory for me in how God has begun to, over time, tighten these screws in my own life, and there's still work to go. Prayer has often been one of those areas of the Christian life that's required more work for me than certain other areas of the Christian life. Uh, for some of you, prayer is a real struggle. It doesn't come naturally for you. Maybe for some of you, when you think about having a vibrant prayer life, you think already immediately, like gonna be have, there's going to have to be a lot of things change in my life because it's not strong right now. Others of you, prayer is one of the strongest areas of your Christian walk. For others of you, prayer just comes so naturally, and it's nothing. It's, it's like, literally, like you're sitting there in your chair, and God's right there next to you in his chair with his sweet tea or a cup of coffee or whatever, and you all are just having a conversation. Some of you, prayer is that real. It is that, it, it, it is that easy for you. And across this room today, everybody falls in a different place. However, for all of us, what we all have in common is that prayer has to be, it is a necessity 
And our walks with God, it has to have that place of priority, whether it comes easily or whether it, it doesn't, whether we're where we need to be as it relates to prayer or whether we have a long way to go to get there, right? Prayer is an absolute necessity. And so a, a few months ago, um, <clears throat> well, let me say this, a, few, a couple of years ago or so before COVID, I think, we did this thing called prayer walking. And I'm going to get to the card that's in your chair here just you know, so, shortly, not right this second. So just lock in here. Don't read it yet. But uh, we're going to get there. But we did this thing called prayer walking. And so we gave people an opportunity a couple, two or three years ago to do this. We had some folks that engaged, which was good. And, uh, and, and then I think COVID hit and a lot of things changed. And um, a few months ago, we have a couple in our church that, uh, that came to me and, and they said, you know what, we'd like, to, we'd like to, to just walk and pray before the services. Is that okay? Well, I was too scared to say no. I mean, what do you, I mean, do you, really? God sent somebody here to pray and I'm going to say no? I don't know that I really want that. No, I was too scared to say no. And I didn't know what God might do if I said no to prayer. And so they, they began doing that. They began doing that. And it's interesting because over these last few weeks, I've just sensed a little bit of a difference. I don't know if it's related to that or not. I have a feeling it is, but I've just sensed a difference in our services. I've, I've sensed just some, I don't even know how to explain it. I've just sent something different. And uh, as though God is, is moving in, in a different way and is up, to, is up to something bigger than what we can really fully grasp or understand. And I think a part of that is because of, of an intentional desire to be more focused on prayer, at least for this couple that God has sent our way. Fast forward a little bit, move a little bit further in the story. Jason, our equipping pastor, gave me a little book to read. It's called Praying the Bible. One of our grow groups, I think, is going through it right now. It's a phenomenal little book. It takes about two hours. Literally, I went on audio.com, I believe it was, to see how long is the audio version of this book. Two hours and five minutes. So it's an easy read. It's not this long, lengthy uh, you know, novel that you have to read. It's just very simple. There's nothing earth-shattering in, in it. But I tell you, it, it really, really struck a chord with me. This book did, and it was like another little seed that God tossed out there saying to me, this needs to be more of a priority in your life, Brooks, and in the life of the church. Fast forward a little bit more as well. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, another friend of mine who's a pastor across town, uh, probably 30 minutes from here, um, we were talking uh, about two or three weeks ago, and he has this idea. He, he said, I just feel like the Lord's given me an idea that I want to focus on. It has nothing to do with his, the church where he pastors specifically. He said, I just want to get other churches involved. I feel like God's leading us to pray for our city. And he has this full-blown idea of how that's going to work. It's a phenomenal creative idea. We sat down this past week, he and I and two other pastors from in town. And uh, as we were talking about this, it just seems like, you know what? The Lord is, is so much into this. It was let yet another seed in there where God is saying, you know what? Prayer needs to be a part of the fabric, not just of your life, not just of our church, but of every single church as well. And, and then, as I mentioned earlier, I'm having lunch this past Thursday with a, another pastor friend of mine. All pastors really do Monday through Saturday. You just sort of show up and eat with other pastors. That's kind of it's, it's kind of our job job description. That's really all we do. We only work on Sundays and Wednesdays, right, Adam? I mean, that's that's kind of kind of all we do. And uh, and, and so, as I'm at breakfast uh, again with uh, this pastor friend of mine. He, uh, he just affirmed, as I mentioned earlier, that this is something that we need to be focused on. And so that's a little bit of the backstory. I don't usually give you the backstories of how I came to a certain message, but that's why I chose to say, you know what? We don't have any questions that were submitted that I remember seeing that deal with the topic of prayer. And so today, knowing that God is wanting, I believe, to steer us a little further in that direction, I'm just going to ask the question. And that's what we're going to deal with. So let's go back to the question. And I want to look at it in two different parts. We're going to begin to walk through and hopefully answer this 
in a way that's meaningful, in a way that leads us to, to a response. So the first part of the question is what role has prayer played in the early church and in church history? I had you turn to the book of Acts for a reason because the book of Acts really captures for us the beginning of church. It's where the church is born, and it's there in the pages of the book of Acts where Peter is preaching in the city of Jerusalem, and and he shares during a time called Pentecost, he shares the message of the gospel. The events of the cross and the resurrection are fairly fresh still, and so you've got all these people in town for this Jewish recognition at Pentecost, and it's in that context that God says, now's the time for me to give birth to the church. And as Peter is preaching, what the writer of Acts, Luke tells us, is that 3,000 people in that very day, when Peter preached this message, 3,000 of them chose to be followers of Jesus. That may not seem significant to you, but just by the sheer number, I believe it is, but you have to understand that this was in a Jewish context. These would have been more than likely Jewish people who did not follow Jesus as Messiah up to that point. And it was out of that context, 3,000 of those Jews from different regions around the world would have not only come and assembled for a Jewish festival, but they heard this a very Christian message and they chose to redirect their lives, not to follow the ways of Judaism any longer, but to submit and to follow this person named Jesus. It would have been a radical transformation in their life. This was a radical direction change for them. And the, the, the church was born that specific day. And as we move through Acts, what we see then is the role that prayer played specifically in the early church. And so let's just chronicle some of this. You can move through the book of Acts here with me. I'm going to move fairly quickly through this. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, the very first chapter. Acts chapter 1, let's go down to verse 24 and verse 25. This is where the early church is choosing a disciple or an apostle to replace the person of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus, he had committed suicide, he was no longer in the mix, and they would need a leader to replace him. Chapter 1, verse 24, it says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen, they had narrowed it down to two, to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. A man named Matthias would have been the one that was chosen. What's significant there is that before they chose the person to replace Judas, they made sure that they prayed fervently. This was not a decision for them to make based on the data research. Well, we've got this man who's been really engaged, and this guy who comes a lot, and this guy who works down at the homeless shelter, and this guy who teaches Sunday school. They didn't do all that. They prayed. Now, I'm sure a lot of other things went into the mix. They had certain criteria, but the key here is that they opened up this decision first to prayer. You move a little further, the church is now beginning to grow, Acts chapter 4. The church is beginning to gain some momentum. It's also gaining some opposition. And in Acts chapter 4, we see that persecution has begun to break out. What would be the response of the early church? Look down in chapter 4, verse 29. They begin to pray, and now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. 
What they began to do was something you see throughout the rest of the book of Acts. You begin to see boldness take place. Over and over and over, you begin to see these early believers pray for boldness. Why would they pray for boldness? Because there was, there was opposition in the midst. They would pray for boldness because they knew they couldn't afford to be silent. It's not like the church today where we already have a crowd and we already have people and we're settled enough to say, you know what, the crowd is here, mission accomplished, check that box, let's just try to keep them coming. That is a horrible, horrible motivation for what we do as churches. The motivation can't be that. It can't be to draw a crowd and do what we can to keep them. The motivation has to be keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. And when there's opposition, you keep pushing and you keep pushing and you keep pushing. Why? Because eternity is at stake for people. They have to hear the message of the gospel. They have to come to an understanding of who Jesus is. And they're never going to hear who Jesus is unless those of us who know him tell them right? And so what they prayed for was boldness. Lord, we might die when we go out today and talk about you. Lord, we might have our fields taken from us. The Roman authorities may come and take our families from us, but Lord, give us boldness because we can't keep quiet over what you've done in our lives. Give us boldness. And they prayed that over and over and over. And right there in chapter four, we see them begin to pray for that boldness in the face of opposition. You go down to chapter 12, you move over a little further and you find one of their own has a great need in their lives. His name is Peter. He was one of the original disciples. He's in prison. He's in prison because of his boldness. He's in prison because of his obedience. He's been tossed into jail. More than likely, his life will be taken from him. Acts chapter 12, look down in verse 11. What we find here is that Peter is set free miraculously. God performs literally a miracle, and the gate doors are open, and he is set free. Verse 11 Acts chapter 12, it says, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. What immediately preceded his miraculous release and deliverance was a gathering of believers who were praying for him. And it's almost comical if you read the rest of that passage. He shows up and, and he comes back to their house and knocks on the door and, and uh, a girl named Rhoda comes, actually lists her by name, and she opens the door and she sees Peter and is like, <gasps> slams the door shut and runs, like, tells, you know, it's like, you were just praying for him. Why are, you, why are y'all shocked that he's now been set free? This is what you asked God for and God delivered. But the thing is, they were praying for his release. They're praying for the needs of, of this believer. You move over one more chapter, chapter 13, you find the church at Antioch. Now, it's not just a group of Christians in Jerusalem. These churches have sprung up all over that region of the world. The church at Antioch is like a launch pad. They're they're about to send out their best to the ministry. They're about to send them out to the mission field. This is like the first Christian mission trip we read of in the Bible, sponsored by the church at Antioch. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, now there were at Antioch in the church that, that was there, Prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Paul would, would be a part of three missionary journeys, and it all started when the church prayed. Ultimately, other church congregations will begin to spring up, chapter 14, verse 21, before they implement new leaders in these churches, 
Look at what they did first, chapter 14, verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders, that's pastors for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord, commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Prayer was a mark of distinction. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, describes the methodology of these early churches. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. About 30 references in the book of Acts to prayer specifically, and what it pictures is this, this understanding that they were dependent on God. Prayer wasn't an option. Prayer wasn't an accessory that got added in on top of worship and on top of Bible study and on top of showing up to be together, you know, fellowship. Prayer was not an accessory that you just sort of fit it into the open cracks. Prayer was what drove this whole entire thing. Prayer was the part of the fabric. It was part of the very DNA of these early churches that we read of in Scripture. In fact, right after Jesus ascended in the first place, he was crucified, buried, resurrected 40 days later, ascended to the Father. Right after that ascension, what we find is in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 12, the church is assembled and they're praying. I mean, it's from the very beginning. This is something that was an absolute necessity for them. What was the role of prayer of the early church, the question asks? It was everything. <laughs> it was the centerpiece. I mean, it was right up there with the teaching of God's Word, right up there with worship, right up there with sharing the gospel. It was right there. It, it was the very midst of it. It was the oil that kept the machinery running. I mean, it was that vital. And in the life of the early church, I mean, moving on into more modern church history, uh, virtually every significant revival, not revival scheduled in services, I mean, move of God in history has been preceded by prayer. 1857, a guy named Jeremiah Lanfear saw the, the, uh, in the midst of, of the depression before the Great Depression of the 1940s, the worst depression up until that time in our country was right around the time of the mid-1850s. 1857, Jeremiah Lanfear was a businessman in New York City, felt a burden for that city, felt a burden for revival, he began to open up the invitation for business people in the city of New York City to come and to pray with him at North Dutch Church at noon on Wednesdays. They first, start, first started with a handful of people. That would begin to catch fire, and over time, that movement would begin to spread to where prayer groups were popping up all over New York City. It was called the Layman's Prayer Revival. If you ever want to Google it and read it, Jeremiah Lanfear, 1857. Not only did it begin to be isolated just within New York City, but it began to move outside the borders. It moved to Philadelphia. That revival moved to Cincinnati, moved to Charleston, eventually crossed the ocean, went to uh, the British Isles, went to the Pacific Islands. It, it, it went to North Africa. It, it, it began to spread globally. And it started ultimately with prayer. I mean, it was something so incredibly simple. So what's been the role of prayer in the early church? What's been the role of prayer in the modern church? It has been, again, the very oil that keeps the machinery moving. Amen. Worship is fueled by prayer. Everything this choir does is only going to be fueled by prayer. If it's just a bunch of performances and there's no prayer undergirding it, all it is is a show. And the Lord knows we don't need another show in this world. If I step up here to preach and it's not undergirded by prayer, all it is is another speech. 
And, and the Lord certainly knows we don't need another speech, right? Especially over these next few years that are coming down the road. <laughs> I mean, it, it's got to be the center of everything. Mission trips that are not undergirded by prayer are just trips to another city, another state, another country. Events that are not undergirded by prayer in this church or any other church just like us are just more fellowships, right? There are actual strategic events that are designed to accomplish something that God wants accomplished if they're not ultimately undergirded with prayer. Let's go back to the question again, and let's look at the second part of this question because I want to focus on this amazing question that was asked by, <laughs> out of, never mind. <clears throat> so the second part, how important is prayer today in the life of a follower of Jesus and in the life of a local church. I think what we've established is that in the same way it was important to the early church in Acts, in the same way it was important to the church, to the church in, in, in early church history, it is equally as important for every one of us in our own walks, and it's equally as important for us as churches as well. Principle number one, I'll give you two real quickly. What we most need as believers and churches is spiritual in nature, so pray. What you need most in your marriage, when you boil it all down, is spiritual in nature. What you need most in your relationships, what you need most in your, the direction of your life, what you need most in your decision-making, what we need most here as a ministry, what we need most as people and as churches, when you boil it all down, is ultimately spiritual in nature. And so we got to be people who pray. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, this is a verse we often hear around the time of the National Day of Prayer. It certainly applies to our nation. It wasn't written for the United States of America, obviously. It applies to us, but it wasn't like written just for us. In fact, it doesn't even have anything to do with any kind of a nationalistic sense at all. It was written for the people of Israel, but it applies to us in a little bit of a different way. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God says, And my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray, Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He says to the people of Israel, he says to every person still today, that if his people, who are called by his name, will first humble ourselves, prayer is usually not a priority until we first humble ourselves, because a lack of prayer shows a, a, a dependence upon ourselves, it shows a lack of humility, lack of prayer equals lack of humility, so he says humble ourselves, and then pray, and then seek his face, and when we turn from our wicked ways, we surrender ourselves to him, Romans 12, 1, we present ourselves as living sacrifices, like we talked about last week, he says, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land, as I'm having lunch this past our breakfast this past Thursday with my pastor friend. Um, <clears throat> he made a comment that I had never thought about before as it relates to churches and as it relates to Christians. And, and he made the comment, it was something like this. He said, why would God provide opportunities for us to serve him if we're not first tuned into him already? I had never thought about that before. But when he made that comment, it was like a light bulb went off right? Because we all want God to move, and we all say we want God's will to be done, both in our lives and in our marriages and in our churches. But if we're not in tune with him already, why would he even open opportunities if all we're going to do is miss them? Does that make sense? 
It's like, why, why am I going to invite somebody to go somewhere with me when I already know, <laughs> when I already know I'm not on their radar and I already know they don't care about spending time with me? Why am I going to invite them on some extravagant trip with me when I already know I'm not even, in their, I'm, I'm not even on, their, on, on their schedule, on their radar to begin with? Why would I do that? And, and, and to me, that comment really, it struck a chord because prayer is the way we get in tune with God. And it's when we're praying and it's when, we're, when, when we are engaged with him in conversation, right, that, that he is on our radar, that, that we are tuned in with him. That, 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 that's how we hear his voice better, is when we're engaged with him in prayer. One of the ways, and so when we are faithful in prayer, and when we're, when we're walking with him in relationship, as all this is playing out, then he can roll out opportunities for us. Hey, this is how I want to use your life. Hey, here's the direction I want you to go. Hey, here's how I want to bless you, both as people and as churches. Prayer is how we tune in with him. Look at what it says here in Colossians chapter 4. Not sure if we lost our screens back here behind me. Colossians chapter 4. Let's just, let's just move through a few passages of Scripture. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And we'll read these real quickly. Paul is writing the book of Colossians to the uh, believers in the city of Colossa. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Very simple verse. Three English words. Pray without ceasing. That means as you go, it's a running conversation. 1 Samuel, I love this perspective that Samuel, I used this in a five for five video that I did recently <clears throat> that our pastors put out weekly. And uh, I focused on this verse. Such a, such a cool verse, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. This was Samuel's perspective. He says, moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. He would count it as sin by not praying for someone else. I mean, it's just a whole different view of what prayer is. Not an option, not an accessory, but a very part of the fabric of everything that God wants of us. It's running conversation, bringing our requests to him. On your seat when you came in, you got a little card. And uh, it, it's very simple. You read this card and you are now trained to prayer walk. <laughs> it's pretty simple training, about the simplest training I've ever done, I think. Some of you may wonder, what, what on earth is prayer walking exactly? Uh, I heard a lady in seminary years ago, she said, prayer walking is just simply praying on site with insight. I thought, man, that is, that's, a cool, that's a cool definition because I can still pray. I can pray for services at home. I can pray for services when I'm driving here. Why do I need to pray for services while I'm here? Well, it just it helps because when you're walking the property and you're praying for God to move on Sundays, you begin to think for thing, of things to pray for that you wouldn't have thought of when you're sitting at home. This little card is something I want us to focus on for those that would be interested. Between now and Easter Sunday, we'll call Easter Sunday the... the um, the last Sunday of at least round one, I, I really hope that this becomes part of the fabric of who we are. But I just want to invite you to, to come into prayer walk, to come early before the services start. This card has all the info. I'm not going to read through everything on here. It's very simple, very self-explanatory. But in a way we've done in the past, in, in the way we have at least two or three right now that have really engaged in this with a burden, I want to invite you to do the same. Just come early. You know, service starts at nine. You got here probably about five minutes before. Or if you're like I would be if I wasn't a pastor, you came flying in on two wheels and ran in maybe two minutes after the service started. If I wasn't a pastor, that would be me. 
And I'd be sitting back in the back too, by the way. So maybe that's where you were. But I want to invite you to come a little bit early and to let this card just be a guy, just walk the property, right? And just pray. It's a lot easier to pray for the preschoolers and for the leaders in there that need, that need prayer, <laughs> right, when you're standing outside the doorway. It's a lot easier to pray for people here because we all sit in the same seats every week, right? And it's amazing how many people get prayed for when you just walk the aisles of this particular room and you pray for people you remember that sits here and that sits there and that sits there. And this little card just gives you some help. It gives you some help. I just want to encourage you to consider coming early. You know, we want to be done by 8.45 because we've got ministry things that are getting set up. But I encourage you to come early and, uh, and to just walk the property and pray. It doesn't have to be long. It's not showy, right? It's, it's not that. It's just praying on site with insight, praying for God to move and for God to move a mighty way. Did you know that on any given Sunday, there could be a person that comes in through these doors and they are looking for something that is desperately, sorely lacking in their life? And they're, they're hanging on by a thread and God brings them here. What do they find when they come? To a large degree, that's up to us. If they find a lot of people that are too hurried because it's about us and we don't have time to stop and engage someone in the hallway, we don't have time to walk up to someone that we can tell is struggling and say, hey, how are things going? If, if we're too busy, right, what they're going to find is people that are too busy for them. And we see people come in here hanging by a thread and they need to meet Jesus, right? And they need to hear the gospel. I'm just telling you, it's really helpful for me to know that I'm being prayed for. I'm no more special than anybody else. I do have a responsibility on Sundays to share the, the word, right? And to preach the message of the gospel, to share the message of the gospel. And it's surprising how many things run through these ears during the 30 minutes I stand on this platform. To the point to where when you get and you're talking about the gospel, how many times it'll fly through your mind. Brooks, how many times have they heard this? You think that's coming from the Lord? <laughs> it helps to know that the services have been prayed for, that people have been prayed for. People that come in that have just had a horrendous week. And they need to know that the Lord loves them for them to be prayed for. And I'm just telling, it takes strategic response to say, you know what, I'm going to show up and I'm going to pray on site with insight for God to do a mighty work today. And we leave the results to him. That's the way prayer works. And so I'm, I'm just, God will hear your prayers and he hears my prayers from home. But I'm just saying, how awesome would it be if we just had a real sense that on any given Sunday that God's people are praying for God's work to be done. And, and this may hopefully be a help for that. Principle number two, regarding prayer, the primary question is not whether we have time to do it, but what we miss when we don't. Two or three months ago, I was asked by one of our local schools to come and help, one of our local Christian schools to help with a prayer event for their students. It was, uh, it was at Calvary. And so my role was to help lead the students in prayer. We walked across the street to Memorial Hospital. Um, and then for the next two and a half hours, we had students that were brought over uh, in, by class. And the school had already arranged for them to pray for people that were in the ICU and pray for the hospital staffers. And, and uh, to do that outside of the lawn, right outside the heart-lung tower there at, at Memorial, near the Children's Hospital. And... Uh, I've been in those doors many times. I visited my own dad when he was in that unit. Uh, before he passed away, I've made umpteen visits that space. And um, 
And yet this day was different. I'm standing at, at, say, like the freshmen come through. We help them to get in their groups and to give out the cards for them to pray. And then they leave, and there's like 20 minutes before the next class comes. This is, I think, November. And, uh, and it was in between one of those in a transition time that I see three people sitting over one of the outdoor picnic benches there outside the Hartlong Tower at Memorial. They are very obviously distraught. Um, you could tell they had been crying. They were waiting probably for visiting hours to open again. And I walked over to them. And I, uh, I just said, I, I don't even remember exactly what I said. I may have said, hey, we're just here with a group of students praying for folks. Um, do you mind if I take a moment to pray for you? And they were so appreciative and they were so open to that. And they shared a little bit of what had happened. There had been an automobile accident the night before. They had a loved one that was in the unit. And I prayed for them. And, and, I, and I say this to my own neglect, Right? Because of all the umpteen times that I've walked in those doors across that grass to go in to make a visit, that is the only one time that I can ever remember that I've ever recognized someone in need and had the boldness enough to walk, the boldness to walk up to them and say, can I pray for you? How many opportunities do you think I've missed to make a difference in someone's life? And even if they didn't know the Lord, or if they did, to take their request and to escort it to the throne of God. How many opportunities have I missed? <laughs> right, when we pray, it's not a matter, do I have time to do it? It's what am I going to miss if I don't? Because for some, heaven and earth is in the balance. For us, we need a touch of God. We need families, we need individuals, we need churches, this one included, that don't just do services and events, but rather we're on the front edge of seeing God do what only God can do, and that will not come unless we pray. If you've never met Jesus, the best decision you'll ever make is to do what those early believers did that shook up their world and the rest of it as well. And that is to say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned and I'm accountable to God. But you died and you rose to pay for it. And if you've never made the decision before, the best decision you'll ever make is to say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin and would you take over my life starting today? And if you do that, if you pray, he'll answer and he'll change you forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, um, that your word gives us everything we need to know about the necessity of prayer. Lord, we graft it into every single service here. We start with it, we close with it. It happens in between different things that take place in our services, Lord. And along with that, Lord, can go the risk of it becoming routine. And Lord, there's a, not a one of us that occupies a seat in this room today or watching online that can, can say that our prayer life has never struggled with just being routine. Lord, we've all been there, and yet it should, be, it should be exactly the opposite. And so, Lord, the goal is not a guilt trip here. If it is, then I'm probably first in line. Lord, the goal is for us just to see our eyes opened to the necessity of prayer. That, Lord, in the same way that the church was what it was because it was undergirded by prayer, something hasn't changed in 2,000 years to where we think we can do something differently and prayer not be in the very center. Lord, we're not going to see you use this church to shake these islands and to, 
to lead in revival. We're, we're not going to see you bring awakening in this community where people hunger to know you in a personal way. We're not going to see those things happen unless we pray for that to happen. Lord, we're not going to see vibrancy come that takes us even further in our walks with you than where we already are. We're not going to see lives impacted. We're not going to see the, the, the things that happen out of the ordinary that can only be attributed to you, Lord, unless it's undergirded by prayer. And so, Lord, I pray that for each of us individually as Christians, that you take us deeper in that area. Lord, I pray for us as a church family that you would take us deeper in that area. And even if we have folks that choose to come to prayer walk, Lord, even though there's a specified time to it, Lord, I pray that it doesn't become routine. And my prayer is that it would become a part of the fabric of our church, Lord, that, that it's just the norm to see people praying in the hallway. It's the norm to see people slip out during a service while the choir is singing and to come and pray down front because they just want to get away and have conversation with you. That it's the norm for us to, to, to pray Pray for people around us when you open those doors of opportunity. And Lord, it takes boldness. Give that, we ask. But Lord, I pray that in our own individual walks with you, that you would take us deeper and that you would burden us to the point of action as it relates to prayer. And we thank you that there's no formula. Thank you that there is, it's not something we have to learn. Thank you that you're not impressed with our fancy words. All we have to do is say, dear Lord, and, and start talking and you hear. And so, God, thank you that you've designed it to be so simple. And God, may we be all about it for your glory. And as you respond, Lord, may you be the only one that gets the credit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.